Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block Politics, Perspectives, and Players. Well, thank you guys for joining us. It's really exciting to have a chance to sit down and we always talk about what young people think, but we're not young people. So to actually sit down and, and speak to some young people about what they think. The whole blackface, brownface controversy really dominated the campaign. Last week, it's dominating it again. This week, people are still talking about it. I'm curious to know, what was your reaction when you saw those images? Um, honestly, in the beginning, I had to think that the photos were edited, they were fake, but upon them being confirmed as real and Trudeau apologizing, it wasn't difficult for me to accept that apology as genuine and sincere. And I think as a minority, a lot of the people who I've discussed with this with have had no issue accepting that apology. If anything, our problem stems from kind of people outshining the voices of minorities in this matter and projecting their own opinions and values onto something that is deeply personal for a lot of people. So that's kind of my evaluation of it. For me, it was just so hard because it happened a long time ago, and that's true. And he apologized, which I really respect for, and took full responsibility right away. But my first reaction when I saw the picture it just brought me back to all the Halloween parties that I've been to that people have dressed up as a Chinese person because that's so hilarious, right? Except when it isn't. That wearing a rice hat and everything isn't that funny, especially when that's my culture that's being a costume. So it was really tough because I kind of had that internal battle of maybe he's moved on, but also this really sucked and it really affected me to see the leader of my country doing something that it was so personal and that I've seen my culture being as a costume as well. But I really appreciated Jagmeet's response to it, talking to people like me that had to be reminded of the times that my culture wasn't considered a culture but a costume that made me feel less than. And I really appreciated him just speaking to that. The people around campus, I think it was weird kind of the balance. I think some people, like Karina said, were okay with it and some minorities kind of felt overshadowed with their voice. But I also met a lot of people that were very disappointed and kind of questioned what character Justin Trudeau had to not only do that costume once, but over and over again. Oh, and, and on that, it, it's the three times that raises the question for a lot of people. Once people yeah. think, okay, uh, you were young and that was bad judgment. Uh, two times more of a problem, three times and he won't really tell us why he was in blackface on the whitewater rafting trip. Does it create a question about whether he is who people thought he was? It absolutely does create that question, but I'm hesitant to address this being who I am, being another white person, and being someone who literally graduated from the same high school where the brownface photos were taken, actually. Uh, I'd say rather than asking someone so similarly sheltered as me whether Trudeau's apology for these repeated acts of overt racism is acceptable, I think it's a far better idea to ask people of color who can actually speak to it from their own lived experience. I think there's a difference between being okay with it and giving people the opportunity for redemption. And I think whether people are questioning Trudeau's moral authority now to govern, I think that's wrong to me because I have now been able to see so many people who look like I do represent me in Parliament, be a part of the Liberal caucus, and for me that speaks volumes and that matters to have the voices genuinely empowered and represented and able to speak out on this, more so than just being like, okay, let's sweep it under the rug. I think 
yes, let's hold our leader accountable for sure. Let's accept apologies, but let's all move forward together. Do you think there's a generational divide here? Because I got a surprising number of emails from people who said, well, blackface, brownface. And I don't know why you as a reporter are characterizing that as racist, which surprised me because it seems pretty clear cut. None of those emails seem to be from people who are younger in references they made. Do you think that things are changing in Canada beyond the partisan politics of this election in terms of people recognizing that there is an issue with race in this country and that there is discrimination that certainly lots of people like us have, have not experienced and would not be aware of? I think for sure the conversation is changing and that's what's so great about Canadians is that our strength is in our diversity. And I think that young people really take that to heart and even looking at this table right here, two of us are women of color talking about politics and that wouldn't have happened even 10, 15 years ago. Definitely. So it's great to see this conversation being happening about what is acceptable, what's not acceptable and how can we go forward together. Yeah, agreed. Once again, the key is empowering people to speak up and I, I think that my response was directed at doing that. Again, it, 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 recognizing the privilege that I've been given and recognizing that it's not, to a certain extent, it's not my place to judge. I was talking to a young woman in the bathroom who's a student here, she's first year, and uh, she said, you know, this Justin Trudeau stuff, I don't like what he did, but wow, if someone went through my past with a fine-tooth comb and, and they found all the things that I'd done, I sure wouldn't want to run for politics. I am really interested to know if living in this era of social media and digital everywhere, everyone has a camera, which was not the case when I was in university, I assume the three of you are thinking about maybe going into politics one day. Does this weigh on your mind when you think about choosing a political career, the environment you run in where absolutely everything is now under the microscope? I think definitely, but I kind of like the fact that it holds people to a high standard of behavior where I think if you are intending to run for public office, then it is the right of the public to know what you've been up to behind closed doors. It speaks to your character, your true, genuine self, and I think, I. Even at UVic, like last year, we had a scandal where um, somebody was caught doing something at a party. They were caught doing it, and it was racially offensive, and it was on video. And that person was then held accountable. Had that not have been caught on camera, he would have never had his actions corrected or criticized. And that's why I think social media actually is a good thing for making people's behavior known, right? I would agree. I think for all the times that it's a negative thing for some people with false accusations or whatnot, there's 10 other people that haven't even shared their story. So I think it's great in a way that we have these tools to tell people that these behaviors aren't okay and that allow us all to be able to see a little glimpse into someone who they are besides you know the prime minister be able to unfold the layers behind that yeah it's really interesting to think that the conversations we're having right now are being shaped to such a large extent by these, this newly emergent documentation that proliferates through social media and as as for the question of whether it makes sense to hold people accountable for past actions it does it in the end have to be done on a case-by-case -case basis and in the spe specific case of the brownface blackface incidents uh, that have come to light involving our prime minister I'm not super inclined personally to take take those words at face value and when, when we've when we've seen how he's dismissed concerns over water over water poisoning on First Nation reserves at, at a at a public event a while back uh, we, we've seen the, the manner in which he dismissed Jody Wilson-Raybould and 
we've seen the way that he's backtracked on indigenous rights in, in the name of resource projects. And the, the, the way in which Justin Trudeau rose into office pointing a gender equal cabinet and doing all of these wonder, wonderful things does, does speak to some desire to advance minority rights. But when it comes down to it and a resource project is on the line or some other political goal is at stake, what his decision seems to be motivated more by pragmatism than principle. Walking over here, I saw a protest outside of what I think might be a Board of Governors meeting. Yes. There's a bunch of people lined up with climate signs asking the university to divest from fossil fuels, uh, saying the dinosaurs thought they had time to. Obviously, the environment is a, is a big issue for young people. Tell me about, on campus, the kind of discussions you're having about the different policies that parties are offering in this election. I just mean, how could it not be an issue? We saw the Greta speaking at the UN yesterday, just to such a young girl, and she said to the cameras and everyone there, how dare you? And I think I repeated that line a thousand times in my brain because I just realized how right she was, that climate's the biggest thing that we need to tackle, and it's on our, it's our onus to make sure that change happens. I think on campus, that's the biggest issue you'll hear. We heard it in even the student elections, divestment, what's the biggest things that people said. We hear it in all our platforms echo that climate change is a serious issue. So I think students are really looking for action and not just words. They also don't want greenwashing or band-aid solutions. It's not just about banning single-use plastics, but changing the entire conversation of what's, who's polluting and making sure that we're stopping those big corporations. Yeah, uh, standing at the UVic Clubs Fair at the, at the Greens booth, there, there were a lot of students actually coming up to us specifically concerned about this exact issue because, of course, environmental concerns have always been central to the, to the core of our Green philosophy. And um, the reason they were coming up to us and the reason we're able to re retain those volunteers and se send them out door knocking for all of our candidates is that, until this morning at least, we were the only party with a goal to hit zero carbon w on any time frame at all. And unfortunately, until you have a plan to hit zero carbon, it's difficult to say you, you have a plan that means anything, because so long as we continue to emit carbon, the environment continues to degrade. And there was the Liberal announcement this morning, which I hope is followed up by more detailed policy in the future. Uh, it does speak, I hope, to a change in direction of, the, of Liberal policy toward climate, toward more meaningful action than the, relative, than the fairly consistent un unchanging levels of greenhouse gas emissions that we've seen over the past four years instead of the drastic immediate reductions that we must see to ward off this apocalypse. I hope it speaks to some kind of turning point and I think the Greens look forward to working with a Liberal, working together with, with the Liberal Party in some form of minority or coalition situation to work on achieving these goals. I just think the tough part for me about all these climate plans is that they're not super intersectional. I see that NDP plan, what I enjoy about that is that climate sinks into every single sector because climate is everything. Climate change affects everything we do from housing to mental health to health care. It goes everywhere to the wars that we're in. Uh, climate change is an issue. So I really love that the NDP approach is all about not leaving anyone behind, that in this transition time, that we're going ahead to make sure that we're going there together and as Canadians. I'm yeah. sure you want to add yeah. yeah. to get the liberal perspective. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So I think our generation is specifically concerned with climate change. I think if anything, every issue falls secondary to how important battling climate change with the feasible plan really is. And in my opinion, I think doing it in a realistic way that promotes national unity in the process is fundamentally important. And doing it in a way where we're transitioning 
in a sustainable and realistic way is also of fundamental importance because I think while it's idealistic to say let's do all of these things, let's attain all of these goals, I think we have to really concretely see how these plans are going to work in public, work with opposition views, you know. I think what's more concerning to me is that we still have like leaders of like the People's Party of Canada who are saying that this isn't a problem, you know. So I think kind of approaching it with taking all considerations from all sides of the spectrum is important and educating people in the process is important of the realities of climate change. How, how much do you guys think the parties are serious about this? Because every party makes promises, big promises, not a lot of details from any of them or, or not a lot of accounting for how much it would cost. I don't think that anyone's managed to tell us exactly how much it would cost to get to their target and how they're going to do that. Obviously a change that this is even coming forward, but do you worry that these are people who are just putting those comments out there and championing the platform, but when they get into power and things get a little tougher and maybe a little less popular, especially with an older generation, they're going to pull back on all this. Oh, absolutely. And we, we, we've seen that, again, in the current administration's failure to meaningfully reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We saw that in the 2019 Liberal budget, which allocated over $3 billion in direct handouts to big oil at a time when, you know, burning fossil fuels is, of course, the reason we are in this crisis. And I think that d defending such practices as the only realistic approach, realistic approach is incredibly naive when we could immediately cut back on this ridiculous spending by stopping to, stopping funding these planet-destroying operations, saving a ton of money, and enacting the grand transition in the process. I guess it's just hard for me to believe that there's a climate action plan when our Prime Minister buys a pipeline. It just seems like that's just such a dichotomy between those two, climate action, and then supporting our oil industry in a huge way by an expensive pipeline that could have gone towards renewable energy. So it's just disappointing when our leaders say one thing and then their actions do another. But I think that a lot of leaders are getting really serious about climate and I am happy to hear that. I think that's reflected a lot by what's happening in the states as well with their Green New Deal doing radical change and hopefully that will get through and I'm looking forward to uh, what happens in this election that this is going to be a talked about issue. However, I think doing things, like I said, in a way where we're transitioning in a way that makes sense, in a way that's long-term and sustainable. Yes, I know there are concerns brought up about the pipeline. Do I personally agree with that? No. But I can understand the logic there, where if all of the money being generated from that is going towards investing in our transition into a green economy, then I think we will reap the benefits in the future. And that is a good way to ensure economic prosperity while also protecting the environment. I guess I just keep on thinking back to we have 11 years left. That is, that's not enough for a small transition. It needs to be like bold action now, you know? It can't be in five years we'll do something or we'll buy this pipeline and then we'll invest the money. We have 11 years left before literally like ex mass extinction is starting. We need to be focusing on that for yeah. the top and priority. Even the 11 years left catchphrase, which was 12 years, but of course yeah. a year years passed, is something of a misnomer because taking action over those 12, now 11 years, doesn't mean waiting 11 years to do something. It means enacting the changes now such that our infrastructure is well in the process of transforming to zero carbon before yeah. those years are up. For mm -hmm. sure. And I think where you kind of touched on the generational divide earlier, climate change is hugely significant in that divide, where I think our generation is keen on the moves that are 
serious drastic towards combating climate change whereas I think the older generations are more weary on the severity of the problem or the solutions necessary to tackle the problem but I think there's a general consensus among younger people that serious things need to change. But I think that's what got us into this mess. Sorry. I just, I think that's what got into our mess is not wanting bold change, wanting to do little steps, little steps. And now we're in a catastrophic like situation. Now we need this bold change and we need a climate plan that leaves no one behind that comes into every sector of our economy and makes sure that like every single part of the human experience is related to climate is, change. Is there concern though, because obviously the environment is a huge issue, but for people who say, look, if we simply pull out of fossil fuels, the economy in Canada is going to collapse. It's, it's not an option. What are your views on that? Well, the, the, the first thing that a lot of people don't quite understand is that environmentalism is not optional. The stopping emitting carbon is not optional. It's not a nice to have. It's something that is mandatory if we're to, we are to avoid complete civilization or collapse. Talking about climate change plans as if they're unduly expensive would be like arguing against defeating the Nazis in the Second World War because it would be too expensive. It wasn't an option. We had to do the expensive thing. It applies here too. And on the subject of the genera generational divide that was discussed here recently i think that i think that one way in which that particularly profoundly applies is the understanding that young people have that these infrastructure these fossil fuel infrastructure projects that some would like to to construct now that the liberal and conservative parties would like to enact now aren't just temporary things that in order to in order to achieve a meaningful return on investment on these projects, they have to be operating for decades. Their very financial success is predicated on global failure to stop consuming these fuels, to stop emitting carbon. And by investing in them, we are ensuring that our very infrastructure is powered by this destruction for decades into the future. And that's something that no green can stand by. I think you're right. I think labor and the environment have to go hand in hand. We can't leave people without jobs. We can't leave people like their family's hungry that's just not an acceptable way of a climate plan so i think that's why when we're transitioning to this green car to me it means not buying pipelines and it means putting people into training and retraining people immediately so we can start building these new uh, renewable projects and making sure that climate change is addressed seriously and it's addressed now yeah well i definitely agree that at a certain point like political pragmatism does need to reckon with the realities of climate change. I think that, in my opinion, when we go back to, oh, leaders just throwing out kind of like blanketed statements, one of them being that, oh, we'll just retrain people and we'll get new jobs in a new sector and that in, like our fight of climate change can fall into all of these different categories. I think those to me are just words because how exactly is that going to be accomplished? In my opinion, I think long-term sustainable and in a way that promotes national unity in the process unfortunately did include buying a pipeline and allowing our economy to grow and jobs to remain stable while we are investing in this transition i don't think things just can unfortunately happen right as we want them to we have to be very intelligent in how we're pursuing our approach i'm going to ask all three of you a final quick question based on that discussion is the environment more important than the economy? I would say that's a very difficult question, but personally I think the environment is more important than our economy because without an environment there is no economy. I don't think it's an either or. 
I think we need to be moving into a green economy. I think we need to be worrying about labor and about housing all at the same time. I don't think it's about choosing one or the other, and I think that's what the problem of this conversation is. It's a generational thing. You need to care about jobs. You need to care about the economy. You can't just care about the environment. You can do both. You just have to think about it differently. And I think we're starting to get that, but I'm looking forward to even more conversations happening about how we do that properly. Yeah, and Isabella is right to point out that there is massive opportunity for development of new industries, for new employment opportunities, new exciting careers in green industries that didn't exist before in terms of generating new renewable energy, in terms of de developing this new infrastructure that we need. And I have to give our liberal here for at least mentioning the word transition, which I don't think our conservative would have dared mention if uh, a conservative had showed up at this round table today. But the, the fundamental question of whether the economy or the environment is more, is more important boils down to this. The in decisions that degrade our environment resonate for millions of years on timescales that are inconceivable to us when modern civilization has only existed for a couple hundred. The decisions we make now at this inflection point in our carbon trajectory will determine the living conditions which all people live and die under for literally millions of years to come because the ecosystems that we are destroying by emitting all this carbon into the atmosphere by polluting don't regenerate on any meaningful time scale that humans can appreciate and that's why obviously the environment must be treated above with importance above all other things and yes there is opportunity for new employment and development of new industry in this but solving a massive and complicated problem an unprecedented global emergency like the climate crisis is not primarily an opportunity to do business well, that's all the time we have, but thank you all so much for joining us and for sharing your opinions and your thoughts. It's so refreshing uh, to actually get in touch with what's going on on campus and what's being discussed, and I'm sure you'll all be voting on October 21st. Yes, or advanced polls are starting soon. <laughs> Those too. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. That's awesome.